Chapter Sixteen of Babu Jabberjee, B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Babu Jabberjee, B.A. by F. Anstey, Chapter Sixteen. Mr. Jabberjee makes a pilgrimage to the shrine of Shakespeare. I have frequently spoken in the flattering terms of a eulogium concerning my extreme partiality for the writings of the Honourable William Shakespeare. It has been remarked, with some correctness, that he did not exist for an age, but all the time and though it is the open question whether he did not derive all his ideas from previous writers, and even whether he wrote so much as a single line of the plays which are attributed to his inspired nib, he is one of the institutions of the country, and it is the correct thing for every orthodox British subject to admire and understand him, even when most incomprehensible consequently i did cock-a-hoop for joy on receiving an invitation from my friend albert innitz junior esq on behalf of his parents that i should accompany them on an excursion by rail to stratford-upon-avon where the said poet had his domicile of origin and so great was my enthusiasm that during the journey i declaimed ore rotundo certain select passages from his works which i had committed to memory during the salad days of my school boyishness and with such effect that miss wee wee all but in it who is excessively emotional was compelled at times to veil her countenance in the recesses of a pocket-handkerchief having at length arrived at that hallowed and sacred spot the very name of which sends a sweet and responsive thrill through every educated bosom our first proceeding was to partake of a copious cold tiffin this repast we ordered at an old-fashioned hostelry whose doorway was decorated by a counterfeit presentment of the bard and i observed that similar effigies were placed above several of the shops as i walked along the streets these images somewhat resemble those erected to buddha in certain parts of india being similarly bald but terminating not in cross legs but a cushion with tassels however i was not able to discover that it is the custom for even the most ignorant inhabitants to do anything in the nature of pujar before these figures any longer though probably usual enough before cromwell with the ironsides ordered all such baubles to be removed in a hole of the upper wall of the town hall there is a life-size statuary of shakespeare with legs complete showing that he was not actually deficient in such extremities and a mere gifted torso and it is presumable that the reason why only his upper portions are generally represented is that marble in these parts 
is too precious a commodity to be wasted on mere superfluities we visited the church and saw his tomb and there again was the superior half of him occupied with writing verses on a cushion in a mural niche supported by pillars upon a slab below is inscribed a verse requesting that his dust should not be digged and cursing him who should interfere with his bones but in so mediocre a style and of such indifferent orthography that it is considered by some to be a sort of spurious cryptogram composed by the honourable bacon on such a vexata questio i am not to give a decided opinion though the verse as a literary composition is hardly up to the level of hamlet and it would perhaps have been preferable if the poet instead of attempting an impromptu had looked out some suitable quotation from his earlier works for when an author is occupied in shuffling off his mortal coil it is unreasonable to expect him to produce poetry that is up to the mark when i advanced this excuse allowed in the church a party of americans within hearing exclaimed indignantly that such irreverent levity was a scandal in a spot which was the mecca of the entire civilized universe whereupon i did protest earnestly that i meant no irreverence being nulli secundus in respect for the genius loci only as a critic of english literature i could not help regretting that a poet gifted with every requisite for producing a satisfactory epitaph had produced a doggerel which was undeniably below his usual par this rendered them of an increased ferocity until mr alber innett good-naturedly took them into a corner and whispered that i was a very wealthy young indian prince of great scholastic attainments but oppressed by an uncontrollable naivety after which they all came and shook me by the hand saying they were very proud to have met me afterwards we proceeded to the birthplace where a very gentlewomanly female exhibited the apartment in which the infant bard first saw the light alack there was but little light to behold being a shockingly low and dingy room meagrely furnished with two chairs and a table on which was another of the busts as i came in i uttered a remark which i had prepared for the occasion it was here i said reverently here that the swan of avon was hatched at which miss wee wee was again overcome by emotion the room was greatly in the necessity of whitewash being black with smoke and signatures in lead pencil even the window-panes were scratched all over by diamonds on seeing which and being also the possessor of a diamond and gold ring i was about to inscribe my own name but was prevented by the lady custodian i indignantly and eloquently protested that if the honourable sirs walter scott lord byron isaac walton washington irving and company were permitted to deface the glass thus surely i 
who was a graduate of Calcutta University and a valuable contributor to London Punch, was equally entitled, since what was sauce for a goose was sauce for a gander, and Mrs. Albert Innett urged that I was a distinguished Shakespearean student and Indian prince, but the custodian responded that she couldn't help that, for it was ultra-virus nevertheless. However, while she was engaged in pointing out the spot where somebody's signature had been before it was peeled away, I, snatching the opportunity behind her back, did triumphantly inscribe my autograph on the bus nose. In the back room they showed us where Shakespeare's father stapled his wool, which caused Mrs. Albert Innett to remark that she had always understood that the poet was of quite humble origin, and that, for her part, she thought it was all the more creditable to him to have done what he did do. We also inspected the museum, and were shown Shakespeare's jug, a rather ordinary concern, the identical dial which one of the clowns in his plays drew out of a poke, and a ring with W.S. engraved on it, found in the churchyard some years ago, and no doubt dropped there by the poet himself, while absorbed in the composition of his famous and world-renowned elegy. There were several portraits of him also, all utterly unlike one another, or only agreeing in one respect, namely their total dissimilarity from the bust. We likewise saw the very desk Shakespeare used, after creeping unwillingly to school with a shining face like a snail's. I was pained to see evidence of the mischievousness of the juvenile genius, for it was slashed and hacked to such a doleful degree as to be totally incapacitated for scholastic use. I myself was sprightly in my youth, but never, I am proud to say, to the extent of wilfully damaging my master's furniture. Before leaving, we walked to visit the residence of Shakespeare's wife, which turned out to be a very humble, thatched roof affair, such as commonly occupied by peasants. But, as Mrs. Albert Innett said, it is a sad fact that distinguished literary characters often make most imprudent marriages, which put me in a wonderment whether she had heard anything about myself and Miss Mankletoe. At one of the bazaars I purchased a beautiful Shakespearean souvenir, in the form of a coloured porcelain model of Shakespeare's birthplace, which can be rendered transparent and luminous by the insertion of a nightlight. This I had intended humbly to offer for the gracious acceptance of Miss Wee Wee, but having thrust it into a coat-tail pocket, I unfortunately sat upon it in the train as we were returning. So I presented it as a token of remembrance to Jessamina, who was transported with delight at the gift, which she said could be easily rendered the statu quo by dint of a little diamond cement. End of chapter 16 Recording by Steve Chilvers, Norwich, England